Welcome to Common Ground, a podcast series discussing new research and interesting projects in the field of complementary medicine. Hello, my name is Laura Christophoridis, writer and presenter at Vitaly. Vitaly is a digital platform, professional health resource and fulfillment service all in one. We specialize in complementary medicines and distribute a range of high quality practitioner only and retail products. We'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the lands and pay our respects to elders past and present. Please note this podcast is suitable for a general public audience and anyone interested in health or healthcare professionals. Today on Common Ground, we're joined by Ian Breakspear to explore the properties and clinical benefits of olive leaf extract. Ian is a herbal and naturopathic clinician, educator and researcher with over 30 years of clinical experience. In addition to his undergraduate clinical qualifications, Ian holds a master's degree in herbal medicines from the University of Sydney. Apart from his clinical practice, Ian holds a senior lecturer position at Torrens University. He also finds time to do research, focusing on herbal quality, safety and efficacy. He is currently involved in a clinical trial assessing the value and safety of olive leaf extract in type 2 diabetics. Welcome to Common Ground, Ian. Thanks, Laura. It's, uh, it's good to join you. Yes, absolute pleasure. Now, Ian... Firstly, what is olive leaf extract? Yeah, great question. So obviously, you know, it's coming from the leaves of the olive tree, Olea europea, uh, but the exact nature of olive leaf extract can vary a little bit. So it can be extracted using different solvents. Um, it can be prepared in a, a dry form for putting into things like tablets or capsules, um, or it can be used as a liquid form for, for oral usage as well, and even sometimes for topical usage as a, as a liquid form. So so it comes in a few different preparations. Excellent. And can you share some insights about the history and traditional uses of olive leaf extract? Yeah. So it's I think it's its history and its traditional use, like a, a lot of herbal medicines, is a is a little bit lost, yeah, because mm. there's so much oral tradition, particularly hundreds and hundreds of years ago, that just wasn't written down. But one of the earliest accounts we have um, comes out of the, the 19th century where Spanish doctors were using it as an anti-fever agent um, for various infectious diseases, particularly kind of tropical type fevers. Um, and from there, that kind of usage spread to England. And um, Daniel Hanbury, who was a, a British botanist and pharmacognosist, uh, wrote in the pharmaceutical journal, I think it was in 1854, um, about the, the use of olive leaf to treat fever, to treat malaria, uh, based on communications he'd had with other health professionals at the time. And that's, I think, one of the first really strong written accounts of it. And of course, from there, you know, the usage has expanded, the research has expanded to what we we have today which is uh, quite a quite a large amount of understanding of different activities that olive leaf may have mm, fantastic and Ian, apart from those benefits what are some other clinical benefits of olive leaf extract yeah so 
broadly speaking, you can kind of divide it into two main categories. Um, firstly, for immune and infectious diseases, uh, and there's lots of different areas of activity, like you know, some antiviral activity for certain viruses, some antibacterial activity for certain bacteria, um, and of course, reducing inflammation that comes with various infectious diseases, modulating immune function. Uh, but then we also have the cardiovascular and metabolic disease aspects where, you know, this is, is probably more of a newer area of research, uh, but really ramping up in the strength of, of evidence on it. So reducing blood pressure, stabilizing the, the function of the vascular endothelium, which is so very important in reducing overall cardiovascular risk. Um, reducing blood lipids, normalizing blood sugars. And again, as well, and this is where the crossover between immune and infectious and, and cardiovascular and metabolic happens is at the inflammatory and antioxidant levels again as well. So, you know, that, that kind of covers both of those areas. So, yeah, they're the two broad areas of research. Um, there are some other more minor areas of investigation, but yeah, broadly speaking, those two areas. Mm, fantastic. And Ian, as I mentioned in our introduction, you're researching the use of, of olive leaf extract in type 2 diabetics. Can you please elaborate on what you've been up to? Yeah, sure. So, so I kind of got into this through connections with the Olive Wellness Institute that funded some previous research that I'd done as well. And um, uh, Matthew Leach, Associate Professor Matthew Leach at Southern Cross University and myself put in uh, for a competitive grant uh, a few years ago with the Olive Wellness Institute to fund a potential pilot clinical trial. And what we wanted to look at is, you know, is there potential value here for olive leaf in type 2 diabetic patients? Um, there's early clinical data to indicate it can be used useful in metabolic syndrome, but it hasn't really been explored in actually diagnosed diabetics yet. Mm. So that's what we wanted to see. You know, can can we move that that early stage preclinical information, the, the clinical stuff on metabolic uh, syndrome, and can we see similar outcomes in actual diabetic patients? So that's mm. what we're exploring is using olive leaf to uh, improve glycemic control in type 2 diabetics uh, and you know, obviously exploring not only the efficacy but also the safety as you have to do with any good clinical trial these days. Mm. Now, Ian, why is it so important using fresh as opposed to dried leaves? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a fabulous question. So, um, this came out of, of my first research on olive leaf extract. So my, my initial research was looking at comparing and contrasting the phytochemical profile of different olive leaf extracts on the market. So what I did was took five over-the-counter liquid olive leaf extracts, five practitioner liquid olive leaf extracts, 
um, ran them through chemical analysis through the modern olives laboratory in Victoria, which is a specialist olive chemistry laboratory. And what I wanted to do was not just look at one or two constituents, because as we know, herbal medicines are, are you know often the the sum of multiple constituents in terms of their activity. So I looked at a huge range of different constituents, broadly broken up into what we call the biophenols, the triterpenoids, and the sterols. Mm. Um, people often think of biophenols as polyphenols, and yeah, sure, a lot of the polyphenols are very active, but biophenols is actually a, a better term in some ways because Technically, from a chemistry standpoint, some of these chemicals aren't polyphenolic. They're single phenolic groups. Um, and we see this in the olive leaf particularly. So with this research, I profiled those chemicals. And what came out of this was firstly a massive variation in the chemistry between different mm. products. Um, and that that creates a lot of clinical questions because how do we then understand and compare the, the results in clinical trials, you know, versus the results in our patients, what dosages do we use, how do we choose the extracts. And what was a little bit disappointing in some ways was that the practitioner products didn't come up very well in the analysis. In fact, Hi. the over-the-counter products were broadly superior to the practitioner products in most of the categories of analysis. Mm. Um, and additionally, the, the over-the-counter products provided more detail on things like the quantification of the oleoropine and the hydroxytyrosol, which none of the practitioner products had on their labels. Right. Um, so yeah, kind of a very interesting observation. But then further delving into that, what I'm wanted to know was, well, why? Why is there this quite mm. big difference between those two product categories? And when I looked at it as opposed to just over-the-counter versus practitioner only, what I looked at was four out of five of the over-the-counter products were made from fresh leaves, whereas with the practitioner products, four out of five were made from the dry leaves. Mm. So when I looked at the results of fresh versus dry leaf, then we saw an even more remarkable variation, particularly in oleoropine levels. So oleoropine is an important saccharidoid glycoside found in olive leaf, and it does break down over time to hydroxytyrosol, which is still active, but obviously not you know, the only part of the activity. And in the fresh leaf extracts, there was a hell of a lot more oleoropine and less hydroxytyrosol, indicating less of the breakdown over time. Mm. So what that kind of told me from this was that either the drying process or the storage and transportation process involved in moving dry leaf um, leads to more breakdown of the oleoropine, leading to higher hydroxytyrosol but lower oleoropine. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of the broad difference, and I, I definitely – feel that based on that, and given that oleoropine breaks down in the body to hydroxytyrosol as well, we ideally want to be choosing a fresh leaf-based product. Mm. And is there a dose-dependent association for efficacy? Yeah, there does seem to be. So the, the clinical trial uh, evidence 
obviously looking at a range of different things. So, yeah, for instance, one of the studies looking at insulin resistance, um, they were using uh, olive leaf extract equivalent to 51 milligrams of olirubine per day uh, for immunological and infectious diseases. Um, some of the studies have been anywhere from 70 to about 100 milligrams of olirubine per day. And the cardiovascular effects seem to be observed at 100, even up to 136 milligrams of olirubine per day. And I think this is what's key, particularly for practitioners, is knowing the olirubine level of your products. Mm. Um, and that's what I found a little bit disappointing with the practitioner products was that that wasn't on the label. So wow. myself as a clinician, you know, I, I wasn't able to make a judgment on how much I need to be using because the the information wasn't there. Mm. With the over-the-counter products, the information was there, which was an odd thing because your average member of the public is not going to know what's appropriate, of course. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, it's a little disturbing, really. Mm. I think that's something we need to to improve throughout the, the industry and profession. Absolutely. And Ian, how does olive leaf extract compare to olive oil? Ah, yes. So um, I I kind of think about it more in terms of that idea of olive oil is your food, Mm. olive leaf is your medicine. Um, You know, and in terms of chemistry, we we do see a difference, you know, obviously because olive oil is, is an oil you know, substance. So it's rich in obviously uh, your fatty acids, but it tends to be lower in the biophenols because they're mostly water soluble and a little bit higher in some of the things like the sterols and the triterpenoids, which are a little bit more oil soluble. Mm-hmm. So the the variation in chemistry is quite considerable there. If you, if you look at the concentrations roughly, you're looking in a good extra virgin olive oil, you know, your total biophenols around 400 parts per million roughly. Uh, in a good olive leaf extract, you're looking at around 10 times that in your biophenols. Wow. Uh, whereas, of course, you know, that changes a lot for those sterols and, and um, triterpenoids in the opposite direction. Mm. So, and yeah, you- my, my advice, have your olive oil, plenty of good <laughs> olive oil as a food, and then when you need it, have your olive leaf as a medicine. Absolutely. And how can people decide on what is the best quality olive leaf extract to use? Yeah, so number one, I think, is is definitely choose something that is extracted using fresh leaves. Mm. Um, you know, that, that seems pretty evident from my research that that's going to be the best choice. Mm. Uh, what is kind of interesting is it doesn't seem to matter whether you're using alcohol or water as the extraction medium or just just water. Okay. Um, so, you know, and that is kind of logical when you look at the biophenols, you know, they're, they're water soluble. So alcohol is not really going to provide a lot of additional benefit there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it seems to be water soluble extracts based on fresh leaf are the best ones to choose. And I would always want to choose something that declares its olirupine levels so that I can make that judgment. You know, I can know how much olirupine I need for my patient based on the clinical trial information, and then I can match my dosage of the extract accordingly. Mm. And are there any side effects associated with intake? 
Uh, yeah, you know, every medicine, of course, has some risk associated with it. Yes. So olirupine, that is a securidoid glycoside, it's quite bitter. Right. Uh, and as a result, it, it does have quite a stimulating effect on digestive function. Okay. So some people that are a little bit you know, sensitive, um, maybe they have irritable bowel syndrome or you know, they just have some very sensitive um, digestive systems, High doses can sometimes cause a little bit of gut cramping, sometimes even slightly loose stools. Um, that's, in my experience, usually only seen at the very high dose levels. Right. Uh, and sometimes for those people, taking it as a capsule instead of a, a liquid reduces that a little bit because you're okay. not getting the bitter flavour. So, yeah, that's really the main thing. The um, European medicine. Uh, agency does mention some potential concerns about interactions with antihypertensive medications and things like that. Um, but certainly, you know, from my experience, those interactions are actually good. You know, you get improved blood pressure control with the combination. You're not resulting in somebody having a hypotensive episode suddenly when they start taking olive leaf extract. Right. And Ian, there's been quite a bit of research that's come out around the use of olive leaf extract in COVID-19. What mm. are some of those promising findings that have emerged from this recent research? Yeah, so it's it's all, you know, like everything with COVID-19, it's all still very new, all still yes, you know, very preliminary. Yeah. Um, so the the early in vitro um, research and even kind of computer modeling research is showing some promise and we've seen some things like structural changes in the spike protein on the virus when exposed to certain chemicals from olive leaf extract um, also reduced binding of the spike protein indicating less less likelihood of viral invasion into cells uh, some viral genome damage as well. Um, some of the triterpenes uh, seem to suppress the viral protease, so you're getting reduced viral replication there. And, of course, the anti-inflammatory effects like you know, reduced um, interleukin-8, interleukin-6, uh, tumor necrosis factor, alpha expression, that kind of stuff. Um, so that's all kind of the preclinical information that's looking quite promising. Mm. And of course, we know about that endothelial protective effect of yes. the constituents as well. And we know, you know, I remember reading one of the papers a little while ago that basically defined COVID-19 as an endothelial disease. Yes. Uh, you know, that most of the vascular complications the lung complications arise from the vascular complications mm -hmm. um you know and it, it's very focused on that endothelial aspect and that's where of course we we do have a lot of information about the value of olive leaf mm. in terms of human studies um there was a really interesting observational study um published in 2022 um of uh turkish workers that were you know, grouped into olive leaf drinkers and non-olive leaf drinkers um so drinking the tea uh and 
they had exclusion criteria at that point of none of them uh, could be vaccinated or have had a known history of COVID-19 infection. Um, so nobody that had known they had been positive for COVID-19 could be enrolled in this. Uh, and what they found in this study was that with the olive leaf tea drinkers, they had, uh, interestingly, a reduced uh, amount of uh, what we think were asymptom, oh, sorry, an increased amount of asymptomatic infections in the olive mm. leaf tea drinkers. So when they looked at the IgG levels uh, for COVID-19 specificity, um, 60% of the olive leaf tea drinkers were positive versus 38% for the non-drinkers. So, you know, that, that kind of indicates the possibility that mm. the olive leaf tea drinkers had been infected, mm. didn't know about it, um, more so than the those that weren't drinking it. In addition, um, there was a, a positive correlation between natural killer T cell values in the olive leaf tea drinkers versus the non-olive leaf tea drinkers. Um, so that you know, really early observational study, but you know, an interesting starting point. And then just recently this year, a randomized controlled trial um, of hospitalized COVID-19 patients was published. This was conducted in, in Iran. Uh, and, you know, and of course in Iran, they they love olive leaf. You know, it's mm. something that's been used for a long period of time and, and research for a long period of time there. And in this study, they used three groups, um, a lower dose olive leaf extract, 250 milligrams of extract every 12 hours for five days. Then a higher dose, double that, 500 milligrams every 12 hours, uh, and then a placebo. Mm -hmm. And all of them were also receiving the standard medical care uh, for hospitalised patients, which included dexamethasone, remdesivir, heparin, um, and supplemental oxygen. Right. Um, and that was for all three groups. And what they found in this study was that at the fifth day of hospitalization, the mean body temperature, pulse rate, respiratory rate, um, erythrocyte sedimentation rate, C-reactive protein levels were all lower in the olive leaf groups compared to control. And these are inflammation markers. Yeah, so the ESR and CRP are definitely inflammatory markers. And as we know, you know, with infection, body temp, pulse rate, and respiratory rate changes, particularly with respiratory infections like this. Mm. Um, so that was that was really interesting. Oxygen saturation was also higher in the olive leaf groups compared to the the placebo group. Wow. Um, so that was really interesting there as well. And I think something that I found fascinating with this particular study is there was very little difference in the improvement between the high dose or the low dose olive leaf wow. extract very very little difference okay and when you when you look at the numbers um so the extract they used was standardized for 30 percent olirubine so basically the the group that was getting the low dose they were getting 75 milligrams of olirubine every 12 hours okay. the high dose double at 150 milligrams every 12 hours mm -hmm. uh, and so 
that kind of relates to some of the research we have on infectious diseases already, which indicates that the effective dose is around 100 milligrams of olivipine per day. So, you know, you're looking at the low dose group having 150, the high dose group having, um, you know, 300 per day Mm. um but the high dose group didn't get a lot of additional benefit you know so really it's obviously a a point where maximum dose is achieved going higher than that doesn't give you any additional efficacy fascinating absolutely Mm. fascinating yeah so does it matter what time of day that you take Olive leaf extract, morning, nighttime, doesn't really no, matter. It doesn't seem to be. Um, I don't think there's been any specific research investigating that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly from my clinical experience, yeah, I haven't noticed any differences in that time dosing. Uh, I usually recommend patients, if they're taking the liquid, take it before meals just because right. of that digestive stimulating effect. Yes. Um, but that's really the only thing. Fantastic. What a herb to have in our arsenal. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. And I, definitely. I do love the fact that, you know, this is this is a tree that has provided us with such value mm. for millennia, um, you know, as food, as, you know, building products, for, you know, yes. um, and, of course, as medicine as well. So, you know, it's a, it's an amazing tree and such a sustainable resource as well. You know, when you get into the agricultural side of it, it's, it's a tree that, you know, if grown in the right regions requires mm. very little water, very little in the way of pesticides and things like that. So, yeah, very amazing tree. Definitely. I can see why you've dedicated so much of your clinical life towards it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Ian, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom experience with us today. It's been absolutely fantastic. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure, Laura. Yeah. And thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you'd leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you.